0: Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast series. My name is Carl Vadenberg.
1: And my name is Paige Heron.
0: This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life and embrace an enlightened, healthy, and prosperous lifestyle.
1: This is episode 117. And today we will be talking with John R. Miles about his new book, Passion Struck. John R. Miles is a leading authority on intentional behavior change personal growth, and mattering. He is a celebrated leader, keynote speaker, and the host of the award-winning podcast, Passion Struck, with John R. Miles. It consistently ranks among the world's top 100 shows and the number one alternative health podcast, offering practical insights for those who aspire to live a life that truly matters. With over two decades of corporate and military leadership experience, he's the trusted advisor who is sought after by some of the world's most prominent companies and visionary entrepreneurs. His leadership acumen has been instrumental in generating billions in sales and advising multiple unicorn startups. John's true passion lies in guiding individuals to live a passion-struck life in every facet. He developed Passion Struck out of the desire to create an impact by educating people on how to live a life that truly matters, one where they can live better, be better, and positively impact the world. Welcome to the Life Habits Podcast, John.
2: Hey, Carl and Paige. So happy to be here and so honored to get to serve your community.
0: Well, we're super delighted, John, to meet you. We've been really looking forward to this interview. We both just recently read your new book, and we both loved it, like independently. We read it and got back together and said, my God, this is a a great piece of work. So we like to start the interviews that we do by asking our guests to share just a few of their favorite quotes. I know your book is full of them. It'd be great if you could share just a few that you particularly like, and that perhaps had an influence on your life.
2: Yeah, Carl, thank you very much for that. And thank you both for for saying that, because I think when you put a book out in the world, you have no idea how it's going to be received. And I remember for me, one of the first outside people who ever read my book was Seth Godin and I sent it to him and I'm like, what a litmus test. And he came back and said, I want to be your lead endorsement. So that gave me just this boost of confidence that, uh, I had put something into the world that was meaningful. So thank you for bringing that up. So as far as some of my favorite quotes, uh, one that I actually start the book out with is a quote by Henry David Thoreau, that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think so many people today are living lives of quiet desperation. I mean, if you listen to Gallup, there are 900 million people in 142 countries who are unfulfilled by what they do. And I think that we have the opportunity ahead of us, if you look at automation, et cetera, for this to only compound. And so that was a really core aspect of the book in why so many people find themselves stuck there. And we'll talk about how you get unstuck during it, during the episode. I think another one I would like to bring up is by Oprah Winfrey, who um, is a core component of the book, who I studied. And her quote is that passion is energy. Feel the power that comes from focusing on what excites you. And as you talk about automation and everything else, to me, leaning in on your passion, being a constant learner about it is what's going to help keep you safe when jobs become redundant in the future and things really start shifting. And then the last one I really wanted to highlight. Was uh, by Buddhist uh, philosopher Dasuko Ikeda, who writes, What is defeat in life? It's not merely making a mistake. Defeat means giving up on yourself in the midst of difficulty. What is true success in life? True success means winning in your battle with yourself. Those who persist in the pursuit of their dreams, no matter what the hurdles, are winners in life, for they have won over their weaknesses. And If there are two core messages I want people to hear today, it's this, the most incredible person that you will ever meet in your life is you. The second thing I want people to understand is that the greatest competitor you will ever meet in your life is also you. And that is the difference between achieving defeat in life or creating success in the way you want to shape it.
1: Thanks John, those are three really powerful quotes and as Carl mentioned earlier, your book is full of some really powerful quotes. So I found it really interesting to hear which three you decided to bring in today. So thanks for sharing those with us. So John, passion struck is a awesome phrase and book title. Can you please share with us what passion struck really means?
2: So it's interesting. I'll give you a little bit of the backstory on this, is I didn't have a title for the book. I didn't really have a title for this movement. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's been a mentor for two and a half decades named Keith Crotch. People might know of Keith because he has had a couple of unicorn exits. First was Ariba, the second was DocuSign. And then most recently he served as the Assistant Secretary of State here in the United States. But I was having this conversation with him that we were talking about this quiet desperation and how so many people were stuck. And I said I wanted to create a movement that epitomizes a profound state of existence. Something that's exemplified by Oprah Winfrey, who I mentioned earlier, or Mark Benioff, who leads Salesforce, or Novak Yokovic, or astronaut Chris Cassidy. It's a state where our actions, intentions, and aspirations They're not just aligned, but they're deeply infused with an unwavering dedication to personal excellence and an enduring commitment to self actualization. And he said, John, it sounds like what you're talking about is someone's going from stuck in their life to becoming passion struck. And the second he said it, it just, just blew me away. And I could not believe when I went to GoDaddy that the domain was available for 9.99. It was just, I think, cosmic fate hitting me uh, at that exact moment.
0: It really captures the essence, I think, of the book. And so, and it's nice and catchy. So, we know that your book is based on some 30 years of extensive experience that you have. I'd love it if you give us a brief glimpse into John R. Miles' career journey and also what led you to become passion struck.
2: I think in anything we do in life, it's our upbringing that really influences a lot of who we become. And I was fortunate to live in a a house where my mom stayed at home and was there to help fortify stability for myself and my siblings. But I think both she and my father and my maternal grandparents were always ones who pushed us to excel to aspire to be what we could become in life. And I think that was a driving force. And when I think back about my career, it's almost like, I can't remember a time when I wasn't working, I got my first job when I was in fifth grade delivering newspapers and I remembered at that time, I, even at that age was looking for things that would push me to live a more profound life and from there, as soon as I could get a job when I was 14, I got one at Giant Food Mart, who was our local grocery store. And I think through those experiences, it propelled me to understand that I wanted to create an impact on the world. And the way to do that was learning how to be the best leader I could. So that drove me to go to the Naval Academy. I wanted to give back similar to my grandfather and father who had served. and to do something for this country that I deeply loved. And then coming out of that, I learned so much from being a Naval officer and core principles to do the right thing, to really rely on your senior enlisted members and the power of team. And that really carried me forward then as I left the military and got into management consulting, and I thought that that was a great bridge between the two, because when you come out of the military know nothing about the civilian world really. But by doing management consultant, it gave me a whole bunch of experience working in different industries with different people and kind of bridge that gap between military life and civilian life. And then I've had a, a, a few unfortunate events that have happened to me. And one of those was while I was working at Arthur Anderson. And I happened to be at Houston at the epicenter of the Enron implosion and so it showed me that these jobs that we have aren't always guaranteed and i think this is extremely important for these next generations where automation and an ai can do the same thing to you that it did to me i was a practice leader i led the entire information security practice led the global threat and analysis practice had a multi-million dollar business in a matter of three weeks was gone. I mean, everything was gone. And I had two kids, I had a mortgage, I had everything and, and I had to make some quick decisions. And so I pivoted into industry. And and that led to the next, really 12 plus years of my life in Fortune 500 companies, culminating in becoming the CIO at Dell. And then I segued there into the desire to become a CEO. And I thought the best way to do that would be to go into mid-sized companies. And so I went into the private equity world, ended up leading three companies as the CEO before doing what I'm doing now with PassionStruck. So I think I bring a really diverse background. And I think some of what brings more power to my book is I've read a lot of things out there. I listen to a lot of podcasts by people who talk a great game, but they haven't really done it in the real world. And I think what I bring is the real world application that for decades, I have been trying to mentor the people who worked with me into becoming the best humans that I could possibly help them to become. I bring all that insight uh, into this book and what I do on my own podcast.
1: After reading your book and talking with you today, I can really see your real-world experience, and your dedication for helping people become the very best versions of themselves. It comes through talking to you today, and it certainly comes through in your book as well. Your 12-step framework to becoming passion-struck is well laid out in the book, and I think people really need to read it in order to get the true essence of the framework. But can you please give us a brief synopsis of the twelve steps of your passion struck framework?
2: Uh, so going back to what Carl said earlier, is I've been studying leaders all my life, and about eight years ago, I guess how long is it ago that I started the book? Maybe nine years ago now. I really started to deep dive on this passion of mine, and I wanted to understand how do some people ten x where they are in life. How do you become the 5% that Canadian Robin Sharma often talks about in his own speeches? And I started to see some reoccurring patterns and it started out with about 30 of them. And then as I researched more and more individuals and I ended up studying over 700, it ended up culminating in 12 principles that I kept seeing used again and again by people in various different domains of success, whether that was an artist or a performer or a professional athlete, a military leader or a CEO or or corporate executive. And from there, it was then trying to frame these in a way that people could understand how this model works. And so the book is made up of three parts, mindset shifts, behavior shifts, and then what I call the psychology of taking action, taking deliberate action. So the psychology of progress. And so you can think of this is your mindset shifts are extremely important because they are the why behind you doing something and they influence your, how your behavior shifts are the, what that basically take that, how, and put it into life. And deliberate action is the where and the, when that you then execute upon these mindset and behavior shifts so the framework consists of six mindset shifts the first one is the mission angler which is really about how do you craft the life that you want to lead the next one then gets into once you have established that life vision that you see for yourself you're going to have to reinvent yourself to become it the third one is on that path we encounter negative influences So how do you audit them out by becoming a mosquito auditor from there? It typically comes into the self doubt that we feel as we're on this journey. And so you need to become a fear confronter from there. The next step is oftentimes we end up seeing things in a linear way. It's either, or, and so you need to become a perspective harnesser to change how you're looking at things so that it becomes more both and thinking. The sixth mindset shift, then, and one of the most crucial aspects of the book is how do you become an action creator? How do you learn that actions build upon actions and end up culminating in the greatness you aspire for? The back half of the book, the behavior shifts, start with putting yourself in the zone of optimal anxiety. So, this is how do you start to learn to function in the peak performance zone? I then go into a chapter on boundary magnification, which is really about the power of establishing boundaries in your life that correspond with your core values and your aspirations. I have a another behavior shift, which is becoming an originality embracer, which is really about the importance of adaptability and exploiting your uniqueness in the service of others. Then it goes into being an outward inspirer, which is really about the fact that actions speak louder than words. So how do you learn to show people with your feet what it is that you truly mean behind your intentions? And then it gets into two chapters, one on leadership, which is the gardener leader, which is the leadership style that I think we need in the world today. And then it ends with a concept that I call the conscious engager, which is really about The power of unwavering focus.
0: Thanks so much for covering all of that, John. And and there's a lot that people need to get through and they need to read the book in order to do that. One of the things that I think is really, really important about books like yours is how to capture a particular concept so that people will remember it. And just like the title of your book is so catchy, I particularly loved your powerful concept of human mosquitoes and it'd be great if you could just dig into those a little bit more and also even just give some examples of those.
2: So let me go back to, to the way I organize these. So I wrote passion Struck so that you could employ this no matter where you are in your life, whether that's a new college graduate, someone who's stuck or someone who's a high achiever and just looking for the next thing to level themselves up. So different principles will align to different people, but if you're at rock bottom or you're trying to rebuild your life or build it from scratch, then they follow the progression that I put in the book. So if you think about this, the way I do it, the first thing you've done is you've started to outline and craft out this mission that you want to angle for. You've then started to take some steps to reinvent yourself. And while you're on those processes, what's typically happening is this new version of yourself is now meeting the world and when you do that, you start running into invisible influences that can halt your progress, whether the environment that you put yourself in, or more importantly, the toxic influences who you might be unaware of. And as I was thinking of these invisible influences, I happened to be listening to a radio show where the announcer was asking, what is the most dangerous animal on the planet? And I, my head went to, I think where everyone else went as they were calling in, was a a shark or a spider or this or that. And it turns out we weren't even remotely close. The most dangerous animal on the planet by far is the mosquito. It kills almost 2 million people per year. Now, it got me thinking similar to these mosquitoes in our external environment, we have human mosquitoes that permeate our lives as well. And they're like a mosquito in the fact that they're typically invisible in their influence until we recognize what's going on. And so in this chapter, I go through three and I tried to make these things as catchy as possible because I wanted people to remember them. The first one I call the bloodsucker. And you can think of a bloodsucker as someone who's a boundary destroyer. they are people who draw blood by often ignoring your professional and personal boundaries. They might make intrusive demands of your time. They question your decisions, offer unsolicited advice. And they often leave you feeling undermined and disrespected. The next one is the invisible suffocator. And these are those people in your life who are your pessimists, who often engage in constant complaining. They dampen the mood, affect the morale in a team. It could be that uncle during your Christmas dinner, who you tell him you've got this great new job opportunity. And all he does is give you all the negative aspects that come with it. Instead of trying to encourage you to pursue it. And the third one are the the pitas. People sometimes call these the piece of works or the pain in the asses is the term I like to use. And they thrive on drama and conflict. They instigate disputes and gossips. They create tension and discomfort. And I think we can all recognize these three mosquitoes and people that we meet. And so... The whole purpose of this chapter is to help you identify your limits. And it's not just the people, but it's the environments that you put yourself into. And so what I encourage people to do is to think about this as if you were. Approaching an archery target and just go through a simple exercise. Don't overcomplicate it. Maybe just take the three first concentric circles of that target and put 10 to 15 people in them, then apply the mosquito. Principle to it. And do any of them show up as mosquitoes? If so, it gives you an amazing gift. You now have the power to recognize them, and you now get the opportunity to do something about it by establishing boundaries.
0: What a great story. I love reading that one. You've got several like that throughout the book, I think. I wanted to dig into core values a little bit more, John. And almost all of the examples in the book are of people who have been hugely successful in the military. Billionaires in business or in entertainment. A lot of your focus is also on entrepreneurialism and commercial ways of having impact. I think a sizable part of the population will find those highly inspirational and directly related to their lives. But it seems to me that your framework would be equally effective for people who want to be successful at having an impact on the world, focused on non commercial things like reducing climate change, for example. Any thoughts you have on that?
2: I mean, I think that's an extremely important thing to bring up because to me, the most important principles I was trying to create with passion struck is I'm trying to help people to be better, live better, and most importantly, impact the world. And I think when we are truly the most passionate, when we feel the most happiness, the most contentment, it's when we're doing acts of service to other people. And was interesting for me because I got to interview Dacher Keltner, who's a professor at uh, California Berkeley, and he wrote this great book called Awe. And to me, some of the times we're the most happiest is when we experience awe. And based on his decades of research, he found that the most common way that we achieve awe in our everyday life is either by doing acts of service or witnessing someone else do an act of kindness. And so to me, when you are in service of others, it's living out your core values. And the worry that I have today is that so many of us don't even have core values. It's shocking that one of the first things that I created when I established PassionStruck was I wanted to create a community that had like-minded people in it. So I put out a core belief system that, to me, really put the guardrails in to, if you want to be part of this community, this is what we're all about. And to this day, it is one of the most downloaded um, or visited components of the website. And it tells me that people are really searching for these core values, what makes them tick. But it's one thing to write them on a piece of paper, and it's another thing to activate them in your life. And again, it comes back to this concept of actions aligned with intention aligned with aspirations. At the core of that is something that I talk about in the book, which is intrinsic motivation. And so many of us are motivated by external validations in our life. This is the success, the money, the accolades, and I'm not going to lie. I was there too. And at the end of the day, what did it bring me? Unhappiness. But when you start focus on the real things that matter, your relationships, solving a unique problem that you're called to solve, whether it be climate change or human trafficking, which is to me, one of the saddest things we have on the planet. You feel so much more contentment in what you're doing, but you truly get out of alignment when you're not matching those things up. And to me, what ends up happening. Is you know you're on the right track because when you have those things in alignment, your life seems to be just going brilliantly. And I think when they're in misalignment to using our uniqueness for the betterment of the world, that's when we run into things like feeling lonely, battered, broken, bored, helpless, hopeless, because we have a sense of unmattering. And to me, what Passion Struck is really all about is teaching you how do you create a life of significance the life that I think we all want to live regardless of if we want to be a ceo or run a nonprofit or try to change the world to be a better place i love that
0: I wanted to look into one other dimension and that is that gender differences in taking risk and also even the success of startups consistently shows that women take fewer risks than men and their companies often end up being more successful though. Could you talk a little bit about your experience in this area and how your framework might resonate more with men versus women?
2: Well, I wrote it equally for both. I mean, I don't, I mean, what I try to do in the book and what I try to do on the podcast is not alienate anyone because my goal in life is to help anyone become their, their best self. And so I don't like to take any political angle. I don't, I don't like to do that because I don't want to alienate anyone. I want everyone to foster, but you are right. There are communities, whether it is certain racial groups or female groups who have not taken as many risks as white males have taken. I think the bigger thing that is concerning to me is that no one is taking the risks. The research that I'm looking at is showing me, you just look at the Gallup Poll that was done in 2022 that showed that 60% of people reported being emotionally detached at work. What's even more scary to me is I really studied at the beginning of the book, The Kaufman Foundation, and I looked at reports that come out of the Congressional Budget Office, and then I looked at reports across other countries. And basically, in all Western civilization, entrepreneurship and the creation of small businesses is in a 40 year decline. And the scariest thing about it is that it's in the biggest decline with people who have college educations or are high skilled. And this is really scary to me because what it's causing people to do is they feel like they can earn more money by taking these well-paid jobs than by starting their own business. And I think this equates to people, regardless of whether they're a male or female, you know, their gender or their race. I do agree with exactly what you said, and that is it seems that female founders of companies, whether it's a small business or they're an entrepreneur or something that becomes larger, have a higher success rate. And that's something that we should really learn from. And it's the big reason why in the book, I tried to equally profile men and female throughout it, because I gave the example of Oprah Winfrey in the book. I talk about Hillary Swank. I talk about Susan Wojcicki, who was the CEO of YouTube and countless others. But I want everyone to realize that this is within their grasp. And I think the hardest thing we have to convince ourselves of sometimes is to look at our actual self, who we are today, that ideal self and who we want to become and that ought self who we feel we should be and to lead our lives instead of becoming the ought self more in line with becoming the ideal self, which means more risk, but it also means more reward. To me, it doesn't matter gender or race at all. Uh, to me, it's it's universally applied to anyone who wants to read it.
0: I wanted to dig in a little bit more on what you were just saying with regard to, you know, startups and the number of people actually, you know, trying to start new companies. I was on a panel of successful startups. I was the only one that was representing about a hundred year old startup at that time because I worked for IBM, but everybody else on the panel was a fairly recent scale-up, basically. And I realized that the audience, and it was a huge audience, was made up of unsuccessful startup founders. A huge percentage of them fail, but 90% still fail. And then they typically still pivot, but many of them pivot over and over again and still aren't successful. I've mentored a number of people that were in that situation. And then they decide at some point, they still need to pay the rent. And so then they take, like you said, you know, the corporate job that may well, you know, pay well. Do you think that there are certain people that just aren't cut out to be successful startup founders or that there's people that maybe can incorporate things that you've talked about in your book for fairly important aspects of their lives, but not necessarily that entrepreneurial effort?
2: So I'm glad you asked me this, Carl. And Seth Godin has this funny thing that I've heard him say that oftentimes if he endorses a book, which is pretty rare for him to do, he sometimes will make his endorsement that this book has at least one thought that's worth $27. If you are an entrepreneur and there's just one chapter that you want to read, it's the one that I wrote on becoming a mission angler. And in it, I profile Jim McKelvey. Who is one of my favorite entrepreneurs? If you're not familiar with them, you probably know a person that he mentored, Jack Dorsey, and the two of them created Square. The other person I profile in this chapter is Gary Vee. And when I was talking to Jim, and he's got a great book himself on this innovation principle, I asked him out of all these entrepreneurs that you've influenced, that you mentor, what is the biggest thing that you see between those who are successful and all of these who flop? And he told me that what ends up happening is an entrepreneur finds their uniqueness and they discover this problem that they've been called to solve. And when they start out, they're tunnel focused on keeping the main thing, the main thing. And this then takes you to that chapter on the conscious engager. What they end up doing is they end up becoming a pinball and everything starts distracting them from the initial thing. That was the most important thing. And if you look at a company like Airbnb on their path to creating Airbnb, there were, there were a couple opportunities for them to get distracted. One was when they had to raise money by selling cereal boxes and they started to pivot away from the idea and it started to cause them losing momentum. And then they came back to it and doubled down on it. And Airbnb became what it is today. But as I was uh, talking to my friend, Matt Higgins, who wrote the forward of my book, and if the audience hasn't read his book, Burn the Boats is an amazing book that I highly recommend. He is the person who basically funded Gary V's enterprise of what he's created today with VaynerMedia. And he told me that while he was at the jets, that there was this crazy guy in New Jersey who wanted to meet with him. And he kept prophesizing that someday he wanted to buy the jets, but Matt sat down with them and really he, he didn't want to do this meeting, but he decided to take it. And he said, when he was at this meeting that Gary showed him this vision of the future, that was 10 years away that he saw with how things were going to change and the importance of social media. Now, I'm illustrating Gary here because when he started VaynerMedia, he didn't deter on his vision. He has kept that in lockstep with everything that he has created. Now, he adjusts it as he sees things come online and changes in the marketplace, but he has always doubled down on keeping that main thing the main thing. And I think that is one of the most important lessons for an entrepreneur to do is Even when you feel like you're losing momentum, even though things seem to be shifting, unless the problem you're solving in all entirety, the wrong thing, then you need to keep pursuing it. The other thing I would tell you based on what I've seen is too many entrepreneurs tend to be copycats. And one of the things I highlight in the book is this concept of being an originality embracer. And I use Jeff Bezos and you might think, well, you look at what Jeff did and I mean, really, he just replicated what Barnes and Noble was or Border Books was. And you can look at it like that, but to be an originality embracer doesn't mean that you have to create something earth-shattering that's never been done. It's maybe taking a concept that's out there and creating an original version of it. So what I thought was really unique about him was that at the end of the day, he wasn't trying to create another bookstore. He was trying to create the everything store which didn't really exist. And that's where his originality shone. And so those are a couple of things that I, would, that I would tell an entrepreneur.
1: I think that's some really great advice for entrepreneurs as well as future entrepreneurs. So John, can you tell us where we can go to find out more about you and Passion Struck? And can you also let us know where we can go to get a copy of your brand new book?
2: Yeah, so I put the book up here because I'm very uh, proud of this. I think that the flame that's on the cover really emulates this feeling of being passion struck because the blue that's in it kind of represents us at our starting point. And as the colors build up, it really shows how through life, by living our ideal self, we become this flame that radiates into our ideal self. You can purchase this at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I always like to highlight bookshop.org because I like to support indie booksellers, but one of the biggest things about buying this book is I didn't write this for someone to just read it. I have hundreds of books on my bookshelf that I never go back to. I created this because I wanted it to be something that people live by, and so in each chapter, I have exercises, I have QR codes, And my whole goal here is to continue to give you content that helps you on this Passion Struck journey. So you can go to passionstruck.com and learn more about the book, find out more about the podcast, or you can go to johnrmiles.com if you want to learn
0: more about me. So, John Page and I are clearly fans. We enjoy the book and want to encourage other people to do so as well. But if there would be one final way that you could make the case for why somebody should really adopt your framework and read your book and even follow your podcast and like, how would you characterize that?
2: I would characterize it this way. 2018 Cornell University did research on thousands of individuals and they asked them as they were approaching their deathbed, what was the single most thing that they regretted the most in their life? 76% of them came back with the same answer. It was not pursuing their ideal self. You have a choice. We all make choices every day. My whole book is about micro choices. You can either continue to take the easy path in life that's going to end up leading you to become one of those 76%, or you have the choice to live your life differently and to pursue your ideal self. And you can live your life a completely different way. What I provide are the keys to doing it. I've laid out the formula. I have studied everyone that I could think of who has created this life that we all aspire to lead. And the crazy thing is any of us can do it. None of these people are any different than we are. Dwayne, the rock Johnson, if you look at his career could have easily given up when he didn't make the NFL, when his wrestling career wasn't going anywhere, but he battled through, he wanted to create the life that he has now. And any of us can do this too, regardless of your background, how much money you have, or if you have a ton of money, it just takes the willingness to start doing things differently. And that really starts with just making one profound change in any area of your life, because actions create actions and one will influence So many aspects of your life in positive ways, but you just need to start making small changes.
1: The Passion Struck Framework is all about taking action, and you just gave us some really great examples of that. On the topic of taking action, we have been asking you all of the questions today, but we know that you are a podcast host yourself. So, what question haven't we asked you that you would still like to address?
2: I guess, since you brought up the podcast, why is mine different from anyone else out there, I guess would be a good one. And I mean, there, as you all know, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. There are almost 4 million podcasts out there. There's a ton of content for people to consume. What I wanted to create was a podcast that gives people actionable advice. And the whole thing that we do on the podcast, it's all about power of intentional behavior change. And so that sits at the core, but on my show, you can learn how to apply it to your health, to your mental health, your emotional health, your relationship health, your career health, your spiritual health, because what I'm trying to do is to give information that you can apply in your life to anchor yourself into becoming the person you want to be. And so I think what i have tried to do is i don't do any episode for myself everything i'm doing i'm doing in service of the community and trying to help people create these lives that they've always aspired to have so uh, i would say i think that's what makes my podcast different is it's really about the audience it's not about me it's not about the guest i have these great guests on but i'm curating it for them to talk to the audience and give them the message that i'm trying to Provide them.
0: And I think we've done that together today on this episode as well. So, Paige and I really want to thank you, John. This has been a great interview. And also, your book is a great book as well that we want to really encourage people to read. And we appreciate you.
2: Well, Paige and Carl, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was my honor to be here. And I just appreciate being given the opportunity to be in front of your audience as well. Thank you very much.
0: We appreciate you. We also appreciate the listener listening today. And Paige, could you share how they could get in contact with us?
1: Absolutely, Carl. We welcome you to visit www.lifehabitspodcast.com to sign up for our newsletter. And we will send you the show notes and links from the previous week's episode, along with an exclusive sneak peek of our upcoming episode. Visit the contact page to get in touch with us through our contact form, or simply send us an email to page at lifehabitspodcast.com. You will also find links to our social media pages, and we welcome you to ask questions, share comments, and recommendations for topics and guest ideas for future episodes by contacting us directly through email or on our social media pages. If you love the podcast, please give us a rating in the app you're listening to us on. And if you would like to contribute, please check out the Support the Podcast page. And we also have a Buy Me a Coffee button at the bottom of our site. Contributions from listeners like you allow us to continue to bring you a new episode every week of the series that helps you to learn new habits, to optimize your life, and embrace an enlightened, healthy, and prosperous lifestyle. Please note our website and show notes contain affiliate links, which means we may receive a small commission at no extra cost to you.
0: So thanks again, John. And with that, Paige and I would like to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you found it helpful. We'll talk to you next time and bye for now.